guys to another episode of wrestling recommendations i'm your host eddie shepherd along with travis lassiter uh just had him some dairy queen travis lassiter Ooh, what kind of blizzard did you get uh the choco strawberry chip it was pretty delicious God just, damn. Uh, just uh just had to have some ice cream in my system because i'm fat so it works out he's fat no fatter than ole anderson though just just Put that out there. Always big, always big. That leads right onto our match, Travis. <laughs> this is episode <laughs> 27, and this is the oldest match. This is from 1986. It's the NWA Tag Team Champions, the Rock and Roll Express, taking on the Minnesota Wrecking Crew, which is Ole and Arn Anderson from Starcade 86. Both right. o- older than both of us. Yeah. Yeah. This match was actually recommended by our good buddy Brandon. And Brandon's going to have a run here in a little while. We'll kind of get to that when we get to it. But let's jump right on in it, Travis. Ole and Arn Anderson, we talked about in great depth with Arn Anderson during our Arn Anderson and Bobby Eaton episode. So if you really want to listen to that uh, and let's talk about Arn, go back and listen to that episode. So we'll mainly be focusing on Ole because I want to say this is the only match Ole Anderson has on our list. Yeah, unless he's in a war games or something, which I don't I think war games is a little bit after his time, but that'd be the only other time I could think of Ole possibly being in a match. But um yeah, he broke Wahoo's leg, man. He broke Wahoo's leg. Alan Rogowski began wrestling <laughs> in 1967 in the AWA as Rock Rogowski. Great fucking name. Classic, classic fucking name. Fucking NWA, that was in 67. People don't realize how long the AWA was around before Vincent Mann kind of destroyed it. Well, Vern Gagne and his great booking and not being willing to put the belt on Hulk Hogan. If he had put the belt on Hulk Hogan and Hogan would have stayed, just imagine how wrestling would have been different. I mean, that's, that's for another podcast, but just think. That's the key thing that really hurt Vern, if whether he wanted to admit it or not. I would also say Greg. Greg is also part of the problem. <laughs> hey, he had a good drop kick, man. He was a high he flyer, did. you son of a bitch. I'm sure he was. He was he was great by the time he was 30. So there we go. Whoa. <laughs> In 1968, Allen began wrestling for Jim Crockett Promotions, where he would adopt the ring name that we all know as Ole Anderson and became a member of the legendary tag team called the Minnesota Wrecking Crew with his kayfabe brother, Gene Anderson after Lars Anderson left the tag team in the late 60s. From 1971 to 1985, Ole and Gene would dominate tag team wrestling in Florida Championship Wrestling and Georgia Championship Wrestling. Behind the scenes, Ole was the primary booker for Georgia Championship Wrestling and also had a stint booking Jim Crockett Promotions uh, in 1981 to 1982. For a time, he even booked both companies simultaneously, often combining both rosters for supercards, which were noted for offering some of the best action in the business at the time. So 
in that time period, you know, in the early 80s, Ole was kind of one of the main boogers that was getting a lot of buzz. Yeah, he was he was uh, one of the guys responsible for bidding, building up that Mid-Atlantic uh, Georgia Championship uh, wrestling day area and that's why he would continue to get booking jobs right on through the 90s is he he was kind of a no-nonsense booker and he had his ways of doing things but you can't deny that what he was doing was working if he was getting uh that kind of national exposure for his guys oh yeah yeah uh he would later leave jim crockett promotions to book and wrestle for georgia championship wrestling full-time when Jack and Jerry Briscoe sold their majority interest in the Georgia Championship Wrestling promotion to Vince McMahon, Anderson resisted the change and joined forces with longtime NWA-sanctioned promoters to start a new company called Championship Wrestling from Georgia. This goes back to the, uh, is it Black Black Saturday? Saturday. Black Saturday. Yeah, because... Uh, where uh, Vince buys the time slot on TBS and uh, does it pretty much right out from under everybody. Yeah, I mean, it was pretty dastardly. If he'd have had his fucking mustache back then, it would have been even cooler. But, uh, you know, it, he his comes out on His hair is darker that, now than it was then, and that was he, in the fucking 80s. He comes out on that fucking uh, World Championship Wrestling set, though, and it is like, it's the equivalent of like him walking out, or Shane McMahon and him walking out on Nitro in 2001, if you really think about it, for the time, for the time period, because... No one knew who Vince McMahon was. Probably people on TBS didn't know who the fuck the WWF was, but here he was on their show. And, of course, all the other promoters knew who he was. So it's a, it's a big shot across the bow of a professional wrestling at the time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a big infamous moment. Uh, it kind of, Like I said, it lives in infamy. And like you said, it's kind of like Shane McMahon walking out in WCW. Uh, like you said, most people watching television had no idea who that would have been. Uh, and I mean, even then, a lot of people – TV wise, just thought he was just a ring announcer. No one had any idea that he, you know, had a stake and and actually owned the company. So uh, it was a bit, it was a big ordeal. I don't think I have it here in my notes. I may have it later on, but there was talk that Ole Anderson was going to try to hire a hitman to kill Vincent Man. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. There's some. There's a story about that and what and like Linda. He like said something very bad about Linda too. So that's like why he doesn't get. A, a job later on with the WWF is because of the things he said at this time, they held it against him kind of thing, which if a yeah, man's I, trying to kill you, yeah. Why the fuck would you want to hire him? I, I do have a segment when we start watching the match, I'm going to talk about that more in depth. So we'll get to that. And uh, we'll talk about the whole Linda and, and Vince thing as well. Uh, in 1985, which would be in April of 85, Jim Crockett promotions and championship wrestling from Georgia merged as one. Ole Anderson was teaming with Thunderbolt Patterson in Georgia Championship Wrestling, just as a young Marty Lundy was debuting in Jim Crockett Promotions as Arn Anderson. It seemed like a natural fit to put the two Andersons together. Ole Anderson soon turned on Thunderbolt and teamed with Arn as the new Minnesota Wrecking Crew. They didn't call them the new. They just called them this. They are the Minnesota Wrecking Crew. Yeah, this isn't the WWF every time they break up a tag team and make a new one and just call it new and doom it new right from Express. the fucking... New, New doom it from the beginning. New Nexus. Oh, New Blackjacks. Oh, God, <laughs> that, one's, that just, one's really bad, too. Let's just keep going. We can, we can do that for a while. LOD 2000. Let's throw a year oh. on the end of stuff. Techno Team 2000. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> 
1986, Ole Anderson became a part of the original Four Horsemen with Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, Tully Blanchard, and manager James J. Dillon, if you will. During his time in the Horsemen, Ole feuded with Magnum TA, Dusty Rhodes, the Road Warriors, and this team right across the ring from them, the Rock and Roll Express. Damn right. The Rock and Roll Express, Travis, Ricky Morton, and Robert Gibson. Ricky was trained by his father, Paul Morton, and made his wrestling debut in 1977, becoming a staple of Memphis wrestling, teaming with Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert. You got Ruth. the hot stuff. Sorry. Changed it up. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that goes back to Missy Hyatt, because she had a thing with Eddie Gilbert. There's the, the, Gil, Ed, the Gilberts and the Grams are very prominent on our podcast, because so many of these guys went through that southern area of Georgia and Florida, and they had such a big hand in a lot of this. Well, who didn't Missy have a relationship with? Just saying. Throw that out there right quick. Yeah, you are she, right. She, she, Brandon A. Lane had to pay her to say he had a beautiful penis. We all know he's got a small dick, and it's on a he puts it on a very small jewelry pillow when he tries to present Velvet it. Pillow. So yeah, so don't don't let Missy Pidle do anything for money. Well, yeah. Reuben Gibson was trained by his brother Ricky Gibson and would make his wrestling debut as Robert Gibson the same year in 1977. The Rock and Roll Express was formed in 1983 in Memphis by head booker Jerry Lawler and Jerry Jarrett. R.I.P. Jerry Jarrett just passed away a couple of weeks ago. They were originally paired together as an alternative to the popular tag team of the Fabulous Ones, Steve Kern and Stan Lane, when they could mm-hmm. not wrestle in certain towns. Fucking fantastic tag team. Great fucking beards and hair. Yeah, find the photo shoot of them guys like from this time period. Oh, like, so Jesus good. Christ. Like so them good. in a jacuzzi and them them in like speedos. We've talked about this on the and, podcast, but I love talking about it more because it's just well, fucking hilarious because this is what they thought hats. would get them over. And then with the women, I mean, fucking Katniss Jack sitting there with a glass up against the wall listening to Stan Lane go to town on some rat. So, I mean, he had something going for him there. Sparkle gloves and hats. Just say Robert, look at all the Robert, uh, the poon Robert Gibson uh, crushed with that wonky eye. Well, you got to tell me, man, if I could wrestle it in the 80s, man, they were just throwing it at him. He was watching two pieces at once. It was fun. He just see which one he could get the fastest. Oh, man, it's like they said Rocky hit the one in the middle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's all you got to do. Keep it right in the v- middle of the V. Sorry, guys. Uh, sorry to that one woman listener we have. Sorry. Yeah, our demographic is not very women dominated at all. Oh, man. The gimmick of the Rock and Roll Express was a couple of high-flying wrestlers who loved glam metal music. In 83 and 84, the team mainly feuded against the team of Lanny Poffo and Randy Savage. So they were they doing all... the whole deal with uh, their mud show versus uh, uh... I- ICW. I think it's yes. ICW. Uh, yeah, and the fact that they also, don't forget they love bandanas. I mean, that's their main yeah. thing. They just get bandanas around their pants. <laughs> and it got them super fucking over. Hey, man. And, and, and you talked about it to me when you were watching this match that we're about to cover. You were like, man, they were fucking white hot. And they are. Like you, If you go back and when we watch this match, it, it is loud. The, the pop is fucking huge, man. Like, this is why Jim Cornette holds, like, this era of tag team wrestling in such high regard. Because these tag teams are getting pops that were reserved for, like, Hogan and savage and flair and and you know dusty at the time they were just as over if not more over in some of these towns than the singles competitors oh yeah 
And that's what made it good, too, is you had a lot of these tag teams were over. You could take them to town to town, just like how they did. You know, they, they made this team out of necessity because they wanted another team to, to travel while the fabulous ones were on the other kind of like on the other circuit. So, yeah, I mean, it definitely makes sense. Uh, most notably in 1984, Morton took part in an angle with Randy Savage, which saw Randy pile drive him through a table at ringside. So, um, uh, Lanny, quit jumping on things. RIP Lanny. <laughs> Lanny just passed away not too long back as well. That's that's crazy. I mean, people just pass it away on us. They soon made their way to the Mid South Wrestling, where they started a feud with the Midnight Express, which was the original Midnight. So Bobby and Dennis with manager Jim Cornette. The rivalry between the two teams carried on into the Mid-Atlantic area. They continued to appear in Mid-South Wrestling until June 85 when both teams moved to the NWA's Jim Crockett Promotions and became famous due to their national television exposure on TBS, Superstation. Mm -hmm. Ricky and Robert would have major feuds with Ivan and Nikita Koloff along with continuing their feud with the Midnight Express. NWA champion Ric Flair would begin a feud shortly after with Ricky Morton in 1986. In the spring of that year, Morton was having an interview at ringside when Flair came onto the set and insulted Morton's fans by calling them teeny boppers in their training bras. That's fucking hilarious. He wasn't wrong. I mean, if you talk, listen to Tony Schiavone talk about that write-in, write them a letter, win a trip on the bus with the Rock and Roll Express. Not not the uh not the oldest ladies writing in for that. And the thing and 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 the things that could only happen in Florida in twenty twenty three. That's one of the. <laughs> Here, you want to know how over the Rock and Roll Express is? I can tell you this. You know my sister. She's not like huge wrestling fan. She had a Rock and Roll Express T shirt from this eighties era because my brother was super into wrestling. He had like a Road Warrior shirt and shit. So like um. I remember we were cleaning out some old clothes one time and she got rid of her Rock and Roll Express t-shirt because it was old and faded. Wish I still had that bitch because you could probably sell the fuck out of it now, even faded like that. Fucking teeny bopper. Hairspray Uh, for days. Continue with their feud. He gave Morton a training bra as a gift from one of Flair's girlfriends and told Morton (laughs) that he couldn't handle a real grown-up woman. This led to a series of matches with most notably being their cage match at the 86 Great American Bash on their tour. Good match. At one point in the feud with Flair, Flair and the other three horsemen invaded the Rock and Roll Express's dressing room and attacked Morton, rubbing his face on the concrete floor, causing a grotesque-looking facial injury. They also broke his nose in another attack. That's, yep, he that's had, the thing I remember is him getting yep. his face. I think it's like a green locker room. I still remember watching footage of this. And, and he's just smearing his face into the fucking floor. And then the mask is like a precursor to uh, like stuff that Magnum and all these guys would wear later on. But it's just like a very generic like plastic facial apparatus. And he wears it for the entire summer pretty much. Horseman member Arn Anderson would also make fun of Ricky Morton, calling him Punky Morton, which was a play on the popular 80s sitcom Punky Brewster. The term used to belittle Morton backfired when fans began to use it as a term of endearment. Morton and Gibson won the title back from the Midnight Express and would feud with Ole and Arn Anderson for the rest of 86. That is how Ricky Morton has his nickname. I know Ricky as Punky. I know Mm. Robert as Hoot. That's kind of, you know, in, in in the wrestling business, everybody knows Punky. When Punky's in a locker room, they don't call him Ricky. They call him Punky. That's what everyone calls him. So uh, it goes back to a long time ago when I, I worked a match when I was, I was, God, I was fucking terrible. But I worked a match with uh, Ricky Morton 
and I just got to sit back there and just almost be enamored and, and listen to them. Rage in the cage. Rage in the cage. At least they had a cage that time. <laughs> that I did everything could to help that sh- that company out, man. I did. I really did. Nobody wanted to pr- uh, promote for them. Uh, me and Cody were the only two that did. And that's why NGW is the thing. Good old times. I can still oh, smell that stench in the National Guard Armory in Newport. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> I don't want to talk about that. Let's not ruin this podcast. <laughs> the feud between the Horsemen and the Express culminated in a cage match, which we're about to watch here at Starcade '86. So normally, Skywalkers. I start talking about the show, and I will. But something I, I was very interested in, Travis. I started talking to you about this. So the NWA tag titles that they use on this in this match is very similar to what the NWA is currently using. It's very similar. Uh, I think the version that the Rock and Roll Express have here is like dual plated. I think it's silver and gold. Uh, yeah. And the NWA that they use now is just, is just gold. It's not silver and gold. Um, the thing I remember is the NWA tag titles, which is very similar to what they used in TNA and aren't and totally having those title belts. So in my head, I couldn't remember in place where the switch happened and as far as I can tell, it's, it's that happened in 87. But the mm-hmm. thing that really got me with all this, because I was very curious about, okay, so when, you know, some of the history of the NWA tag titles, it's all over the fucking place because it's ran through territories and not ran through just like, oh, the NWA. So they had this title belt, this. So the earliest date I can find is 1949. And it ran from 49 to 57 in Los Angeles, and then it switched to the San Francisco version, and then that went until 79, and it was abandoned. And then there's another one that was created from 1950 to 79 in Central States, which is later replaced by the NWA Central States tag titles. And then you have another set, which goes on to be the AWA World tag titles. And then there's a, there's a bunch of other ones, like there's the... It's around the same time period. There's like uh, Iowa, Nebraska, and Indianapolis, and Idaho, and Utah. They all become the AWA tag titles. West Texas becomes the NWA Western States tag titles. And uh, it just kind of goes from there. I mean, a lot of these start to branch off. Uh, but with this incarnation, it's actually the Mid-Atlantic tag title belts that they end up adopting mm-hmm. and making part of Jim Crockett Promotions and the NWA. So in 1982, the Los Angeles Territory closed abandoning their version of the NWA tag team titles. This meant the Mid-Atlantic version of the championships became the only NWA world tag team titles that were still active from that point forward. In 1980, Mid-Atlantic owner and promoter Jim Crockett Jr. became president of the NWA and started to consolidate the Southeastern promotion, branding them as the National Wrestling Alliance, while officially being known as Jim Crockett Promotions. With Jim Crockett Promotions gaining national television deals, the mid-Atlantic version of the NWA tag titles became the de facto world championships. Mm -hmm. So those title belts were recognized as the NWA tag titles. In 1988, this is kind of jumping ahead a little bit even for after this match. I just want to kind of some of my research here. In 88, Turner rebranded Jim Crockett Promotions as World Championship Wrestling, but would still use the NWA prefix on all the title belts at that point in time. So in 1991, we talked about this as well uh, around the Steiner Brothers episode, WCW officially split from the NWA, turning the NWA tag titles into the WCW tag titles, 
which meant the reigning champions at the time were Doom, became the first WCW champions by default mm-hmm. just because they switched names. They would replace the NWA tag title belts with the familiar WCW tag title belts that we know from, I believe it's 91 till 97. I want to say, you know, those are the ones that Hall and Nash are wearing, and one of the side plates is, like, missing, and they end up getting new belts. Uh, those are the belts that pretty much be known are known for. And then, of course, they do the, uh, the tournament in 92 where – the Miracle Violence Connection, bring back the uh, the old NWA tag title belts. I just thought it was really interesting because we didn't really have a whole lot of history breaking it down when those title belts changed, and then I went down this really deep, dark rabbit hole. Yeah, because like it's weird that the NWA didn't have an official set of tag titles, but Brandon pointed out when we were talking to him about it that uh, they didn't have a touring champion, like a world champ- tag team champions. So it made sense that every promotion had their own like top tag team because it was just Flair kind of traveling around everywhere as the world champion or whoever was you know the world heavyweight champion at that time. But uh, yeah, it was very interesting because it's weird that, that they didn't have a set of world tag titles officially until '92 when they were like on the decline severely at that point. Yeah, the the main thing I got out of it is a lot of these territories started to close down and they were consolidated by like the AWA and then the NWA started kind of making it like they're de facto champions. I just thought it was really interesting because to this point, you know, I saw those tag title belts and I was like, when do those NWA tag titles, I know aren't a totally carry and it's, it's 87. So it's about a, a, you know, a couple of months following this uh, maybe, you know, six months later, they, they changed title belts. Those belts are like synonymous for me for NWA and Jim Crockett. Well, now rolling on to the match, Travis, and the show. Starcade 86, Night of the Skywalkers, took place November 27th, 1986. This show actually took place in two locations, at the Greensboro Coliseum in Greensboro, North Carolina, and at the Omni in Atlanta, Georgia. The dual location saw six matches take place in each location, with the Greensboro Coliseum main event being the steel cage match that we're going to watch here, the Rock and Roll Express versus the Andersons, with the Omni seeing Flair and Nikita Koloff. The shows were broadcast live on closed-circuit television uh, to the other arena, and the show alternated between matches at each venue. That seems like a clusterfuck even now in 2023 time. It's similar to what they did at WrestleMania 2 with uh, the three arenas, you know, closed-circuit broadcast in different places. There's just a way to pack two arenas for one show. I get it, but yet to the crowd sitting there like, it's got to suck that you're paying this money and you're having to watch a world title match and it's, you know, four hours down the road or something. So, I mean, it, I agree. It sounds like a huge clusterfuck and more money paying out for all the people, the arenas, everything. So was it really, was the juice really worth the squeeze there? Um, maybe not. My, they my never th- did it again. My thing would be, if you're going to do this, I would do Starcade Night 1, Starcade Night 2, Starcade Night 1 in Greensboro, Starcade Night 2 in the Omni. It, it just kind of, or, you know, flip-flop. That makes the most sense to me. Make it like it's a tour almost, like a two-night tour. So yeah. you, you can order, you know, you do a, you know something. But I digress. Magnum TA was originally scheduled to face Ric Flair at Starcade 86, but suffered his career-ending car accident. The NWA decided to have Nikita Koloff, who was engaged with a feud with Ronnie Garvin at the time, turned face as a result and took Magnum's TA, Magnum TA's place in the main event of the show. He got over, uh, but he was no Magnum. No, and here's the other thing, too. Like, right after this match, there is a 
tell me a lie-esque video for Magnum TA that is just so fucking weird. And like, there's no like talking about it or what it's there for nothing. And then they just cut to flair and Nikita. And I would much rather seen a video package of Nikita talking about how he's taking Magnum's place, going to win the belt for him. than this video package of Magnum running down the beach, like Tom Selleck and Magnum PI. The thing about all of it is Magnum TA. He was going to win the title. Mm-hmm. And he was the next big thing. Sorry, Brett Lesnar. He, he really was. I mean, he he was slated to be their top babyface. He was going to be the guy that Flair was going to end up running all the way up and down the roads with. It probably would have been at least a year, two-year deal. Mm-hmm. And uh, kind of got cut short. It's a, it's one of those big what-ifs of that time period. Yeah, because it kind of puts the a to, uh, NWA on its ass a little bit because you know they had all those plans for Magnum, and then they don't really have a, a big babyface to replace him because you have Nikita who's still kind of viewed as a Russian. He gets some booze in this match with that, but they go, they pivot to Ronnie Garvin in fucking 87, 88. And it's just like, no, not what anybody really wanted to see there. Brother. And and then on top of that, Dusty had been teaming with Magnum quite a bit too. They were the, what the super, were they the superpowers? Were they they called? Yep. They were superpowers. I'm pretty sure. So, and then, of course, they pretty much throw Nikita in that spot, so Dusty starts teaming with Nikita as well. So it's, Dusty's got to get over, baby. The card, Travis, let's talk about the matches. Tim Horner and Nelson Royal defeated Rocky and Don Kernedal. Brad Armstrong wrestled Jimmy Garvin with Precious to a 15-minute time limit draw. I bet that's I, pretty good, honestly. That probably would be pretty good. Brad Armstrong, super underrated. Hector Guerrero and Baron Von Raschke, that's another Von Raschke <laughs> fucking I mentioned on this podcast, defeated Sh- Shashka Watley in The Barbarian. Shasta Watley. Shasta Watley. Shaska Watley. Like the fucking drink, Shasta Cola. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> the Russian team, team of Crusher Khrushchev and Ivan Koloff defeated the Kansas Jayhawks, which is Bobby Jaggers and Dirty Dutch Mantel for the NWA US tag titles. Great fucking name. Kansas Jayhawks. Great name. Like just steal it from the fucking basketball team, man. That's how you get over. Jaggers. Duh, dumbass. (laughs) Wahoo McDaniel defeated Ravishing Rick Rude with Paul Jones in an Indian strap match, which is not so PC. I, I forget that Rick Rude is in JCP all the time. It, they're the ones like that this. end up taking the titles off of the Rock and Roll Express. Fucking Manny Fernandez, piece of shit. You're right. That's it was. <laughs> oh, shit. Sam Houston defeated Bill Dundee by DQ for the NWA Central States Championship. Jimmy Valiant defeated Paul Jones in a hair versus hair match. Well, you, what you Big- man, son? You're right. Big Bubba Rogers with Jim Cornette defeated uh, rugged Ronnie Garvin in a street fight. Tully Blanchard with J.J. Dillon defeated Dusty Rhodes in a first blood match for the NWA Television Championship. I watched that match. It's a dusty finish. It is straight up dusty finish because Dusty cuts open uh, Tully. The ref goes down. They end up attacking Dusty. Dusty's bleeding. They, it's, it's pretty much what they do at King of the Ring. Um with Austin. 98 with Austin and Kane. So, yeah. Uh, they see him. They ring the bell. Uh, you get the Road Warriors defeating the Midnight Express in the scaffold match. This is where Jim Cornette blows out his knees. Really Thanks, rough Bubba. to watch. 
Thanks, Bubba. Good catch. Couldn't see. He couldn't see. <laughs> the Rock and Roll Express uh, take on the Minnesota Wrecking Crew in a steel cage match for the NWA World Tag Titles. That's the match we're going to watch. Then the main event is going to be Ric Flair wrestling Nikita Koloff to a double disqualification for the NWA title. God, I don't understand that, why you just wouldn't have Flair win it. And they do that with the world title all the time on big shows. Clash of Champions, Starcade, Flair can never lose it. It's double DQs or time limits or excessive blood loss, like with Luger, who barely got cut that one time on Clash. And it's just, just give us a fucking finish, man. Just do it. Yeah, it, it, I'd be frustrated. This is actually a pretty shitty card when you break it down. There's not a whole lot of substance going on here. Um, you can tell. I mean, it's 86, so you know, just a, a three match of, card. Yeah, um, you could maybe say four at the top, yeah. but that leads us right into this match, Travis. We're going to kick to our ads, but after our ads, uh, we're going to have a special run in from our buddy over at the Rants from the Black Lodge podcast, Brandon Lane. Uh, with his thoughts on this match, as this was his match that he suggested for us. So after that ad, we're going to have that running from Brandon, and we will be right back with you. Next Generation Wrestling brings some of the most talked about and star-studded professional wrestlers from around the world. Based out of East Tennessee, NGW is becoming one of the most sought-after independent wrestling promotions in the past four years. Witness NGW Live or on demand on the High Spots Wrestling Network streaming app. Follow us on social media platforms at NextGenTN. Recording live from the Black Lodge, it's me, the free will burning, head turning, ass kicking, machismo dripping, master podcasting, mouthpiece of the Southeast, uncontested superstar of the airwaves, and your reigning and defending podcast champion of the world, Brandon A. Lane, bringing you a special edition, not of the Rants from the Black Lodge podcast, but making a run in on wrestling recommendations. And I would like all of you to unlatch your belt just one loop because I'm going to give you a buffet of wrestling awesomeness all about two of my all-time favorite teams, the Minnesota Wrecking Crew, R and Ole Anderson versus Ricky and Robert, or guys who know them a little more personally, Hoot and Punky, the Rock and Roll Express, prime JCP wrestling right here a era of wrestling that was known for its awesome tag teams. The Minnesota Wrecking Crew, sort of in their third incarnation, believe it or not, because you had Lars and Gene being the original, then you've got Gene and Ole, and then when Gene went out into greener pastures, you have the young pup coming in, although he always looked old, the excellent Arn Anderson, and this combination that along with Tully Blanchard and... Woo! The nature boy Ric Flair would form the greatest faction in the history of wrestling, none other than the Four Horsemen. They were primed and ready to take the wrestling world by storm, and that's exactly what they did. But there was one big major roadblock, and that was the Rock and Roll Express. And I gotta tell you, during this time, the Rolling Stones... Kiss, Poison, none of those groups had anything on the fandom that was going on for the Rock and Roll Express. If they had the machine behind them and they were printing t-shirts and merchandise like the WWF was, we'd be talking 
very differently about popularity in terms of tag team wrestling because Ricky and Robert, they were over like Rover. I mean, look no further for how influential those two were, specifically on Shawn Michaels, arguably, you know, number one, number two of the 90s. And he got the best and the worst attributes of both Ricky and Robert. He got the selling ability of Ricky and he got the hairline and the crooked eye of Robert. But uh, joking aside, Ricky and Robert were on fire during this time. Uh, multi-time tag team champions, you know, legendary feuds with the Midnight Express. But the Horsemen, they were the cornerstone faction that the measuring stick as it would be, you know, held against to. These guys, they all bring something to the table. The Rock, the original Rock, not Don Morocco, not Dwayne Johnson, the Rock as in the Rock, Ole Anderson. When that man spoke, you believed every single word he said. And when he got in the ring, it wasn't pretty. It was down and dirty, just smash mouth wrestling. And then you've got Arn, who pound for pound may be the greatest professional wrestler of all time. He definitely didn't have the look. And if he'd came around maybe a decade earlier, well... Dory Funk, you're probably not getting the strap. It probably would have been Arn Anderson. And probably for the better. Not shitting on Dory. <laughs> I love the Funks. But, I mean, man, Arn, everything he does in the ring, it has purpose. It's gritty. It's determinable. And when he speaks, just like Oli, there's intensity and you believe it. And then you've got the guys in the other corner. Tacticians and the evolution of professional wrestling in terms of tag team, the sympathy that Robert would gain when he's getting his ass handed to him just to make that hot tag. Man, the place would erupt when it was just, they were just a fever pitch. All knew their roles and they knew how to play it. And I cannot wait to hear what my cohorts at the former podcast, Wrestling Ruined, have to say. And I'm so glad that I don't have to talk about bad wrestling for a change. And this is definitely some wrestling that I would recommend. Back to you guys. Oh yeah, by the way, fuck you, Travis. Well, uh, that was a nice little run-in by our buddy Brandon A. Lanay from Canada, eh? You know what, Brandon? You can go fuck yourself too. And why don't you take your uh, fat fuck friend, uh, Fat Tony, with you? <laughs> Thanks, Brandon, for uh, giving us that, that little bit of audio. Uh, definitely check out, definitely <laughs> check out Rants in the Black Lodge, guys, if you get a chance. Now on to this match, Travis. Uh, if you want to watch along with us, you're going to go uh, search Starcade with two R's on your Peacock app. It's going to be Season 4, Episode 1. This match is available on YouTube, and it is available on Facebook. I'm going to share it to our Facebook page if you want to check it out. So it's going to be on uh, Wrestling Recommendations on our Facebook. We're going to start mm -hmm. at the 2-hour, 54-minute, and 25-second mark. Uh, you're going to see Ole Anderson dodge right after uh, Robert Gibson. They already made their entrances. Uh, we'll talk about that here in just a second. But, Travis, are you ready? I am. All righty. Let, let's say 3, 2, 1, play. So 3. Two, one, play. Play. Arn just shoves him out of the way. I believe it's Earl Hebner in there. It's the ref, too. Oh, your favorite Hebner. God, wrong Hebner died. Going <laughs> to tell you something really that I really liked watching, back watching this match is the boots on the Minnesota, Minnesota Wrecking Crew. Like, Jesus Christ, I love those boots. I don't, I don't remember seeing anybody else wear anything like that. Just a throwback. Mm -hmm. Look at Arn here, man. He looks so young. You mean old? He still looks no. 37. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's telling Arn was younger because Arn had a chunkier face when he was younger. 
Oh yeah, you could tell that he still had that baby face. Like he hadn't lost that baby weight or his beer weight at the time. Oh, and they're right in the, the cage. cage like crazy, Bobby, or uh, excuse me, Robert and um, Arn Anderson here, and Ricky's getting some good shots in the entrances. If you go back and watch this, they they it, looked, it was cool as fuck. As soon as uh, Ricky and Robert came out, you could hear all the women go fucking wild, and even in the the pre-match uh, in, uh introductions i'm going to post that clip uh, when we when we first drop this match on our on all social media you'll hear them you know you'll they you know the challengers aren't an ole anderson and minnesota wrecking crew and then they say uh, get ready to boogie it's the mm-hmm. rock and roll express and dude the crowd goes fucking nuts it's amazing it was ape shit um and just uh, ro- oh, sorry ole and orange just look like fucking men like they're just grizzled men with beards and hair and like they're just there to whoop ass drink beer afterwards and probably fuck your sister and that's the way it goes only looks like he could be like our dad like he yeah. would be our dad and if you didn't want to fucking lip off to to, to your dad because he's gonna put that fucking you know cores light down and he's gonna beat the shit out of you nothing fancy either like like i was you know i was talking oh, yeah, it's beautiful. about the just dark spotlights on the ring cage isn't like an outlandish over the top cage you know and then their tights are just you know wrestling tights you might have their initials or some stars on them but man this is when you didn't need all that pomp and circumstance you just angles were on fire ricky morton's face was scarred up the young women couldn't couldn't bear to look at him for a little while so look at all those pink bandanas damn it streamers fuck yeah I love I love me Ricky Morton, mullet. man. And uh, Ricky Morton still has the same goddamn mullet now. Ricky doesn't look much different. I'll <laughs> be honest with you. He really just doesn't. Old, just older and just a little bit of a beer gut. That's about it. Yeah. I talked about it a little bit earlier too. So, you know, if you go back and watch the entrances, they come out with those tag title belts. I still love the 87 version of the of the NWA tag title belts more. I just I just like them more. They just have a, a really good look to them. Uh, they They're also clean. said they also said that it was one of the first title belts to feature the globe like that for uh, for one of the bigger companies. Uh, I want to say World Class may have had a title belt like that as well, very similar. Yeah, and the the WWF at this time had the tag titles that had mm-hmm. the globe. Um, the Intercontinental title hadn't may have just changed to have the little globe on it. Another WWF title has a globe but you know it's this is around the time some of them are getting them but nothing as big as what they put on the nwa tag titles we'll give a shout out to bob caudle on the call here they lay out just to let you get the action and that guy is underrated as a fucking commentator i never caught who the other guy was commentating the match with him but bob caudle definitely carried his own here because oh. i believe t- i believe shivani's in uh atlanta at the omni he's on the so. call I think you're right as well He's on the call for uh, Flair, and, and you're seeing a lot of what the Andersons are known for is that they, their limb, they they attack one limb and they just work it, and that's what the Andersons were known for. And uh, Ole had Robert's leg on the rope, and he went to go do like a, a jump, and like mm-hmm. he seated out onto his leg, and it was like it fucking hurt. Like there was no yeah. way he he there was no faking that it hurt. Steve, Steve Austin loves the Andersons. He's talks about how he just loved how they dissected one body part, picked it up in a match and, and worked on it. So right now spinning toe hole, which worked against him, hit the cage, took the bump. Look at that. Quick He's holding tag. the leg. He's holding Quick the leg. Tag. 
Only only does something I, I don't really like here. Um, he has, I think, it looks like one knee pad on, and it's yeah. under his knee. I pet peeve. Yes, it's a knee pad, but it's almost like he's using it as a shin sleeve, which I guess he's taking it off so the knee can grind into the other knee better. I don't, I don't know, but why not have two? I mean, you're making horseman money, damn it. Yeah, yeah, you're right. They they are making money hand over fist right now. Uh, I do think, you know, we we talked about a little bit of the crowd being super hot for the Rock and Roll Express, and I know Brandon mentioned it too in his audio. Do you think Vince could have done something really big with a young Rock and Roll Express? I really think he could have. I think the, uh, what is it, um, the U.S. Express was kind of the team they were using as their Rock and Roll Express, yeah. Barry Windham and Mike Barry Rotunda. And Mike Rotunda, yeah. So, like, if they could have got Ricky and Robert, I think they could have been mega stars at the time. But the way Vince looked at it, they probably thought they were too small. Because yeah, Barry and Barry and Rotunda, you know, had some size on them, Looking but um, they're getting fired up. I've never seen him do that during a cage match. I mean, you don't see a whole lot of tag team cage matches that follow tag rules, which I thought was unique. I know we'll get to cage match later, but there's people bitching about why do you have a tag match in a cage and have to follow tag rules? Well. Because it's just meant to keep people out. It does not meant to fucking keep the people in. It's not meant to you just throw all the fucking tag rules out the window. You stupid mark that doesn't know wrestling or probably hadn't <laughs> watched the wrestling before 2010. Shut the fuck up. Sorry. Ran over. No, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Uh, cage match users actually, actually don't don't tear that this match up. They actually say this is one of the best matches on this card. Yeah, there's a couple, there's a couple little marky marks at the bottom that that fuss about like, uh, it's a little slow for me. Uh, it's one sided, and then the the ending was kind of out of nowhere. Well, motherfucker, they didn't have one wing angel finishing moves and shit. Seventeen thousand super kicks back in the day. Grind it, just grind it in there. Yeah, Arn, Arn is working over uh, Robert's leg, and he is gr- literally grinding his knee into the the you know the the upper part of the leg right above the knee on Robert. Robert hits the Inseguri. Inseguri, which is a big-time move back then. Ole's already getting the tag. Like, Arn was trying to hold him. Uh, Robert got the tag to Ricky. Ricky, man, like house of fire right here. Man, coming in, boom, punches. And, you know, we said every podcast, I'm just going to go ahead and say it, like them working the knee, him grinding the knee into the knee, everything fucking means something. Like there's no waste in motion in this match. Everything is meant to dissect the Rock and Roll Express, and the Rock and Roll Express is fighting from underneath to keep their belts against well, even, a more vicious team. Well, even the the shots they're taking into the cage, you know, uh, Ricky's getting thrown into the cage by Oli, and it it means something. Like it's not yeah. just done as just a baby spot. It's used to slow him down, to break him down, and he's already got him down in the corner, and he's just working over the face, and he's working over that nose. That that flare messed up, you know, during the summer. And Caudill even he brings that up. He's about grinding the boot into the face that they had injured. This is back before Earl decided he wanted to flop his arms around and make it about himself. He's he oh, was yeah. kind of staying out of it there, but he did warn him about the face. It is wild that you know Dave is in the WWF at this time, and and he is here with Jim Crockett Promotions. It, it's it's a little wild. They were taking over the wrestling world before the NWO, brother. Oh, oh for life. So the the biggest complaint I think people really have with with Arn and Oli is it's they're compared so much to Arn and Tully. 
because Arnon Tolley is just a to me is just a, a really good dynamic. Do you think Arnon Tolley is the better version of this team, or do you think Arnon Oli is? I like Arnon Tolley better, but it's because they had more charisma uh, with that team. I mean, they could still be vicious. They still followed the Anderson rulebook of working over stuff, but. Tully was a little bit more athletic. They could do more things. Like he would come off the second rope, you know, with elbow drops or knee drops and stuff on the people's thing. Like the wrestling was a little more flashy. Uh, Ricky Morton busted open there. I bet you couldn't tell where he busted himself open because this is fucking <laughs> NWA, baby. <laughs> grind, grind that shit in the cage. Um, but I, I prefer Arn and Arn and Tully. And I think it's just because I've seen more of their work. Um, and to me, like, I just I just like their style. They meshed well better together. Like I felt like Arn and Oli were kind of copies of each other. They both did the same stuff. Just you could switch them in and out. Where Arn and Tully had different skill sets. And the hell their promos were fucking fantastic. I, I think being older, I appreciate Oli more. Because even mm-hmm. as a kid, when I watched older footage of, you know, Jim Crocker promotions in the in NWA, I always thought Oli was just boring to yeah. me. Uh, as an adult watching it, he's just a fuck. He's just grinding you down. He's just gonna keep tearing you down. I I love it. However, Tully and Arn to me, it's the complete package of a tag team. You have your technician as with Arn. You have uh, your guy who can well Arn can also brawl, but also technician with Tully. Tully can more break. finesse. Yes, more, yeah. crisp, very crisp. Yep. I think their promos are better as a team. Then you add JJ on top of that. Uh, Arnon Tolly for sure. I, I, I give it to Oli that like he wasn't. This was his character. He is the guy that's going to grind you down. He's not flashy. Like even his promos, like when he talks about Dusty and stuff, he's like just very even kill. And he's like he's like we're oh, it's like we're going to hurt you. He's like we're gonna we're gonna take a limb. We're gonna we're gonna make you bleed. Like he doesn't yell. He doesn't scream. He's just very matter of fact that he's going to kick your oh. ass. He also broke Wahoo's leg. <laughs> I love the the side apron too, the the green NWA on the side. I've always loved that. It always looks really cool. Uh, I I almost feel like too, if you watch this, you can almost feel like the generational gap is is there now. It's starting to hit. So mm-hmm. Ole's been working since you know the late sixties. This is eighty six. So he's been working for fucking almost twenty years. Twenty and- years of it. It's starting to pass him by a little bit. When we talk Mm -hmm. about our little segment here, I'll I'll talk a little bit more about that. But you can almost tell, just even by by this point in 86, it's almost 87, that Ole is not long for actually wrestling. No, because he gets kicked out of the horseman, and he does that mentor, what is it, mentor angle? I can't remember who it's with against the horseman, and then he kind of fades out. Like you don't really, and then he comes back in '91 as the guy that the horseman that can't wrestle in all black. Fuck that fucking time period of WCW, but um, <laughs> fuck you, Jim Hurt. Oh, we never forget. Here it. comes, here, here comes coming Beautiful back. DDT. Look at that. Oh, Ollie's just putting the fucking. He's putting a Garvin stomp on him, and Robert's and like, just, I've had enough of this. Ricky's such just the leg. A, just a damn good seller, man. Like he's every oh. kick is vicious. I agree with what Brandon said too about Shawn Michaels being the sympathetic seller as as Ricky. I completely I completely agree, and it's it's very obvious the Midnight Rockers they are a carbon copy of mm-hmm. 
of them. He's going to hit him with a shoulder breaker, which is great because it's selling into the fact he's been working that shoulder over. He threw him into the turnbuckle with that shoulder, and he threw him into the cage with that shoulder. It's fucking – I love that, that it makes sense what he's doing. Also, uh, and you brought up the Midnight Rockers. Really, really looking forward to the dark side of the ring on Marty Jannetty. Oh, yes. By the way. <laughs> oh, yes. Jannetty the – Janetti the pedophile, the petty. Janetti the petty. Allegedly. He killed a guy. Allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to talk about this too, man. So, oh, look at Crimson. Oh, Mask. that's great. That's a great visual. The the tag team wrestling scene in the 80s, let alone just 86. I, I have a list of notable tag teams. This is kind of spans across the entire spectrum of, of what you have. So you have the British Bulldogs. The Heart Foundation, the Killer Bees, Buddy Rose and Doug Summers, the Midnight Express, the Road Warriors, the Andersons, the Rock and Roll Express, the Russians, the Fabulous Ones, the Fantastics, the Sheep Herders, RIP to, uh, I believe it was Butch. Butch, Butch passed away, RIP Butch, uh, the Freebirds, the Nasty Boys, and the Midnight Rockers. That's you forgot just, the Kansas Jayhawks, you son of a bitch. I'm not, I did that intentionally. <laughs> But those, oh, I mean, just think about those tag teams, man, that are around. That's, I mean, that's just a, a short, you know, just, you know, as I went through, I just, just, it's, it's wild to me, man. Look how much blood Ricky's lost. Damn. Cause you still got what? Let's like, is it, is the Dreams team still a thing? But, uh, Dream Team Beef, was also Beef there K, as well. USA Express. I mean, like, US Express, sorry. Um, just the, the tag teams were fucking deep. And then you look at the single stars that spin out of those tag teams. It is just crazy to think about it. And there's nothing long, wrong with being a lifelong tag team, as Ricky Morton would later find out when he was Richard Morton. Uh, we'll talk about that. The, <laughs> York Enterprises, but Jesus. Yeah, uh, I think it's time to get to the segment, what I like to call, Ollie's an asshole. <laughs> Most of these stories came from an article I read on the Sportster. Um, we, we've kind of talked a little bit off air and, um, we'll, we'll talk about it as we go through. Oh, uh, and a lot of these stories have been told on multiple podcasts from Eric Bischoff to Tony Schiavone to Ric Flair's podcast to even Bruce Pritchard. Like, uh, so you got some heavy hitters telling these stories. Yeah. So these are, these are in no order, like time-wise only came up with the idea of the black scorpion angle as a joke, but Jim Hurd liked it. Dang. Uh, Sting, Black Scorpion. I'm coming for you. And then no payoff. <laughs> it's going to be a former former tag partner. If you had everybody believing it was Warrior, get the fuck out of here. Sting. Al Perez, Sting. motherfucker. Uh, this is the big thing that kind of threw me for a loop. I knew a little bit about Flair, but I didn't really know a whole lot about Arn. But despite being a founding member of the Four Horsemen, he would openly criticize both Arn Anderson and Ric Flair for their tendency to deliver cartoonish bumps. He despised Ric Flair's style Ooh, and match buster. formula. Ooh. Ooh. Uh, to the point that Ole recommended Flair be made NWA champion so that the championship travel schedule would keep him out of their, his territory. Isn't that fucking nuts? That is crazy to think, man, because it just shows you that Ole was bitter too, that the fact that he wasn't necessarily getting the opportunities they were. Oh, nice. Working yeah. on the shoulder still. He, he just looks like a man. He looks like a guy that will go outside and cut a fucking tree down. 
with his fucking bare hand, like an axe. One axe. Just use his dick as the axe. (laughs) (laughs) So this goes back to the the Black uh, Saturday uh, reference that we made. He was furious with Vince McMahon when he purchased Georgia Championship Wrestling. Uh, Ole wasn't just mad at Vince. He was also angry at Gerald and Jack Briscoe, who sold their controlling shares of the Georgia uh, Georgia Territory to WWE. According to Gerald Briscoe, Paul Jones called him saying that he heard Ole hired a hitman to legitimately kill them, though this never came to fruition. On another <laughs> occasion, the Road Warriors told them that Ole had offered up a bounty to whoever could break the brothers' limbs in the ring. I want to hook you. I'll hook you. <laughs> so he should just. Oh, hook, should, get you. I get you. He just needs to hook Oli. I mean, they just hook Oli, man. He'll be all right. Uh, go go into a little bit more detail, Travis, about what he said to Vince and Linda McMahon and why he never got a job at the oh. WWE. Oh man! Like apparently he pretty much uh, Vince McMahon introduced uh, himself Ooh. to Oli, and then he's like, "This is my wife, Linda," and he says, "Well, you two can both go fuck yourselves." <laughs> And that pretty much kept him from ever getting a job with the WWF because Vince didn't forget. Like, I mean, I guess one thing is, you know, cussing him, but then when you cuss his wife that, you know, was about to offer you a job, I guess, essentially. And you're like, you know, just fuck you. Go fuck yourselves. I low-key respect the fuck out of him. (laughs) He's like, yeah, go fuck yourself and your fucking wife. Fuck her, too. (laughs) But, like, you got to think, like, a lot of people didn't think Vince was going to be what he became. So they were like, "Yeah, I'll see you down the road. I'm gonna, I'll keep doing what I'm doing. You'll be a flash in the pan." And boy, it came back to fuck him hard. He didn't even get inducted in the Hall of Fame with a the other Horseman. They picked another incarnation of the Horseman to induct. They picked the best in, no. in rendition of the Horseman. I they think did. Barry is the, is the is the biggest one. Uh, only claimed that Mark Calloway would never draw a, draw a dime in wrestling. And they let him out of his contract. What Mark a Calloway idiot. is the Undertaker. <laughs> Undefeated streak, multi-time world champion, Hall of Famer. Pretty much carried the WWF on his back in the mid-90s. So, God, man, you just, holy, holy, I I don't think he could see the force for the fucking tree sometimes, man. He was so set in the old ways of doing things. Uh, He was also the voice for the Shockmaster. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Fell on his horse. Nope, there's the the finish. Three and I, I, I like the finish, and people bitched about it. And then the crowd went wild for it. Like they snuck it out. They get they you know pulled it out. Also, doesn't Ole not like Dusty? Pretty much too. Like they had a problem with each other's booking style or something too. Well, I mean, I think the moral of the story is Ole did not like anybody. And I always Any- think back. I always think back to the the Four Horsemen documentary, and Michael Hayes said it best. He goes. Uh, he's like, he's like, well, he's like, Ole would be the first one to tell you, Ole's an asshole. <laughs> so <that's- laughs> and he cheated on his wife with Sharon Sadella apparently for years in WCW. Like he hates, he hated Eric Bischoff. He claimed that Eric Bischoff fired him because he wouldn't, like, you know, I guess adhere to him. But he said he put Ole in the power plant because Ole was good at training new wrestlers and you know seeing who had talent and who didn't. And Ole took that as a slight. So, I mean, yeah, Ole, Ole, uh. Ollie and Sharon Sadello, you know, he, just imagine he had two women wanting to fuck him, not just one. Because <laughs> he's a fucking man. Look at that. Look at that fucking man right there. They're pissed. Great match, guys. I know. I know. We talked. To, we talked a little bit about it. Like you see the finish right here. 
Uh, he, he went to go for a scoop slam, and Robert hit him with a drop kick uh, into the back of Ricky. Ricky fell on top, and then Robert holds off Arn for the one, two, three. Cagematch.net users Travis rated this a 7.77 out of 10. Um, a lot of people say that they could watch this match over and over again, that this mm-hmm. is like the epitome of great wrestling, great tag team wrestling. They're, they're building to the hot tags. They're working the limbs. Um, that's kind of and tag psychology is what, you know, the biggest thing is out of all of this. It is what tag team wrestling is and should be cutting off the ring, working a body part, working over one person. Sometimes it's supposed to be one-sided. Sometimes you're supposed to sneak one out. They're not at all going to be fucking tope suicidas off of six ladders and you break your ankle and you're out for eight months and different shit like that. I mean, I, I thoroughly enjoyed this match. It's a blast from the past, but it still holds up now. Like you could work that style of match now and it still get over because everything meant something and the story was great. Oh, yeah. Yeah, somebody here said uh, this match was never annoying and very physical for over 20 minutes, enjoyable at the very least. So mm-hmm. I, I, I agree. It was very enjoyable. I uh, I liked it quite a bit. Um, let's roll right into the aftermath, Travis. The victory started the Horseman's dissatisfaction with Ole, who was kicked out of the stable just months later and re- replaced with your favorite, Lex Luger. <laughs> he killed us a little yeah, allegedly, but you know, more on the yes side than the no side. Uh, in reality, Oli wasn't interested in living the limousine riding, jet flying lifestyle that his four horsemen stable mates were living and didn't even like the horseman gimmick to begin with. He just a wanted rocket. to fuck a, a plain woman in a plain house on a plain <laughs> set of bed sheets and eat his fucking big piece of chicken. That's all he wanted to do. He didn't want to fly around and fuck whores and do cocaine. Once again, which, you know what. Respect, respect. <laughs> fuck you, man. It's the '80s. Live yeah, a little. But, but you know what, though, he's in his '80s and he's still alive, so that's saying something. Take that stick out of your ass and snort some coke with it. <laughs> the Rock and Roll Express continued to team throughout the late '80s, feuding with Arn and Tolly and the new Midnight Express team of Bobby and Sweet Stan. It's one of the only times you could say it's a newer version of a team that I think was more successful than Dennis Condry being in it. And their their fucking matches were so good. There's some of them on this our list, and man, it that that is one of the greatest tag team feuds of all time, and it still continues today. Like people talk about it with you know reverence. Uh, you know, Bobby Eaton's and all are here, but there's books on it. Jim Cornette's done. They had reunion specials, different things. Like, I mean, they did some Ring of Honor shows with that match back in the day. So in the early 2000s, so. Fucking rock and roll in midnight is tremendous. I agree. I agree. Uh, we actually have some rock and roll in midnight express matches on our list. So I'm excited to hit those one day. Robert would injure his knee in 1990, which would lead to a short break and a heel turn by Ricky Morton, who would be known as Richard Morton in the York foundation. It was not good. Don't Only watch in- any of that shit. Just never. It never happened. They do have one like 25 minute match. Was it on a pay-per-view? Clash? It was on a clash clash and it's Ricky versus Robert. And it's actually pretty good until fucking Alexander York shows up, which is pretty much what dusty told uh, Dustin Reynolds what happened to his life. That's either was, on a clash. It's was it a clash or a great American bash? Maybe was it great American bash. It's around that time period. I can't think of it. Uh, Richard Morton. Those sucks. Yeah, it's not good. 
Ole Anderson retired in 1987, but would stick around behind the scenes as a booker, even taking over booking in 1993 after Bill Watts was let go. Uh, the infamous story about him, Flair losing to Kurt uh, Henning on Raw. Flair wanted to come back to WCW, and he lost a Loser Leaves Town match. We talked about it on the uh, Bret Hart King of the Ring special uh, that we did that Flair lost Loser Leaves Town match to Mr. Perfect on Raw. So Flair came back, and the first thing Ole said to him was, what am I going to do to you now that, now, now that you've jobbed out to Kurt Henning on national television? No, it's Great American Bash 91. We watched it Boom. on Wrestling Ruin. That's yep. it. I knew I knew it was on one of those. Uh, that's because he remember he tears his uh, his tights and starts working over the knee. knee. And that's how they yep. write they write off um, Robert uh, as yep. being injured. That's how they do it. Uh, Morton and Gibson would soon reteam in Jim Cornette's Smoky Mountain Wrestling right down the road from us in Knoxville, and we're still teaming on the independent scene as of 2022. I believe they ran 2022 was supposed to be their final year as a tag team. Uh, they were supposed to retire, and Kerry was going to start teaming with Ricky, which is Kerry is uh, Ricky's son, um, with one of their last noted matches being against Mark and Jay Briscoe. They also had, they also had a match with FTR. They did. They did a pretty good one as well. It's actually one of the higher matches on Ricky Morton's uh, cagematch.net. Uh, uh, database thing. So, uh, Ole would eventually be fired by Eric Bischoff over the phone in 1995 <laughs> after trying to get his son booked with Smoky Mountain. Uh, this caused tension because Bischoff was having um, a, pretty much a war with Jim Cornette. They hated each other. And that's the reason why he fired him because he basically was, they said he did it on WCW property. Essentially, he was making the call to Jim Cornette while he was at work. That's why he, he just- fired him. They're just trying to get rid of Ole at this point. He's it's sticking the mud for what they wanted to do. So, oh yeah. Well, I mean, don't blame him. Fucking Dungeon of Doom pops up, so I can only imagine what Ole was saying. True. True. Like Scorpion. Uh, Ole is eighty years old and still alive. Tony has said though that he is in a wheelchair and he is battling battling dementia, which is not fun. So, um, even though Ole's no. an asshole, I never want anybody to go through that. Travis, what do you think of this match, man? Uh, man, just like I said, it's it's a definition and tag. It's an example of tag team wrestling and what it should be. You know, two teams working each other over, working the body part, making things mean something, cutting the ring off. Just the tag psychology is there. Um, and even for a cage match, you know, I know people were talking about how it's a tag team rules cage match, but I like that aspect of it. That you know, it wasn't constant you didn't miss anything is to say like when you have those teams and they're just all in their tornado tag style, like things get lost in the shuffle. So I think it's a great match, great representation of the era, great representation of what tag wrestling can be. And it's also a blueprint of what like FTR tries to keep in their matches now with it. I mean, they have a little more flash and pomp and circumstance and stuff, but it's essentially what they try to do with their matches is make it make tag wrestling mean something. And I think that's a good thing. I think it's a good example of how you can take a tag team and make a shit ton of money off them and kind of disprove what Vince McMahon, you know, he has a lot against tag teams that you can put a tag team in like, you know, the main event and draw and, and, and get a house off it. And uh, I think the rock and roll express is, is always going to go down as one of the, the most famous babyface tag teams. And uh, they, they were fantastic. Ricky and Robert both are, are great wrestlers. And the Andersons, I mean, like I said, as an adult, I appreciate Ole Anderson more than I did as a kid. I still enjoy Arn and Tully more, but Arn and Ole, you can 
tell the the blueprint of what Tolley and Arn became happened because of the tag team of the the Minnesota Wrecking Crew. Uh, And this is about the second time I've ever watched this match. I remember when the network popped up, I watched this show just because I wanted to watch some of the old Starcades that I never got to really watch. And that match stuck out to me. So uh, it was really cool to go back down memory lane and get to watch this. Shout out to Brandon for suggesting this match and it getting chosen by the Will of Destiny. I do believe this match is also on that best of Starcade DVD they put out. So, Oh, yeah, I remember that. That was a good one. I don't see that pop up anymore. No, it's it's actually really good. Um, the network kind of killed that DVD set because you could just easily find it. But I um I remember watching it on the network. I've watched it on that DVD set, and I believe it might have been on the old twenty four seven we had, and we used to live in that apartment together. That um, match may also be on the Horseman DVD set as well. I could be wrong, but it, it's yeah. it's out there. It's it, it it's a well known match, and you know the fact that more people don't talk about it is kind of. Uh, Kind of a shame when they list off their favorite tag matches. Well, Travis, on to the next week's episode. Of course, guys, we're at that part where we go to the Will of Destiny. We have an ongoing list, guys, of last 40 years, so spanning from 1983 to 2023, of matches that we think are pretty good that we want to you know, give our recommendations for you guys to check out. Uh, right now, we're sitting at 274 matches. They span from WWF, WWE, WCW, uh, NWA, Jim Crockett Promotions, UWF, AWA, AEW, Ring of Honor, uh, the local show I'm involved with, NGW, a couple bangers on that one. So there's just a really broad spectrum of what we got here, NXT matches. So what we do is we put all those matches that we've suggested, you know, that we put on our list, put them in a randomizer. We spin the wheel, we make the deal, and that's the match we cover next week. So Travis, what do you think we're going to get this week? 96 to 99 WCW. I am going to say 2000s WWF. Gotcha. Gotcha. Spin the wheel, we'll make the deal. And it is spinning. Spin the wheel, we'll make the deal. I thought I was going to have a banger to add to it today, and boy, was I wrong. I'll tell tell you in a second. So we go from one Starcade to another. Ooh, here we go. And it's in this sweet spot. We keep hitting the sweet spot of WCW, man. Starcade 92. Sting versus Vader. Fuck yeah, let's ride. That's a good one. I believe this I, is the King of the Cable match. Am I wrong? I cannot remember, to be honest with you. I just know that they beat the shit out of each other because Sting... This is right after Vader. Didn't Vader lose the belt to Simmons? And then Simmons is defending on this? I can't remember if that's true or not, too. But uh, The match I was going to tell you about is I thought they were having a... Uh, technical match between Dean Malenko and Billy Kidman at sold out 2000 and you oh, when he rolls out to, you're, you're not <laughs> supposed to roll out of the ring and he rolls out of the ring and you could tell he's pissed because he thought that he's like damn it and uh yeah he rolled out of the ring and then the match was over and like everybody's like what the fuck just happened and uh then the next no wonder they all fucking quit the next night but yeah um, this is a king of the cable tournament final match Um, This is also the same show where we get a, there's a battle bowl going on and Vader is in the battle bowl qualifying matches as well. He actually goes on to be in the battle Royal after his match with sting. Yeah. They beat the shit out of each other in this match. There's a splash off the second rope onto sting that just looks like it destroys him. And um, I was like, man, that's a hell of a man to get back up. Cause I would have never got up. 
I'm excited to cover this one. I love me some Bleach Blonde Sting. I love us some Vader. We've already talked about both. We can kind of hype the feud that kind of began around that time period. We already talked about quite a few of it with our last episode, one of the last episodes we did with the Cactus Jack and Paul Orndorff episode. So quick, quick thing here. Do you know who Ron Simmons wrestles for the WCW heavyweight title at Starcade? Is it the Barbarian? Steve Williams. Oh, shit. That's Steve's last. He leaves after that. Mm -hmm. We talked about that on our uh, Miracle Violence Connection episode. And Chono wrestles the great Muda for the NWA World Heavyweight title in a 12-minute, almost 13-minute match. I don't remember that match. I'm going to have to go back and pay attention to that. But, yeah, um, excited to watch that one. Because uh, they're gonna they're gonna kick the hell out of each other for seventeen minutes. Yeah, damn, you're right. I see it on here now too. Damn, that's wild card. Travis, let's polish this episode off, man. What you got for me? Uh, not much, man. Just still selling stuff over there on uh, eBay at TGL the Man Twelve. Uh, got some, uh, got to get some more stuff up there. Been putting some stuff up. Uh, people have been buying some Ultimates this week because I guess that WCW ring sold my Goldberg. Um, made a deal to, with a guy that did a toy show here for a couple of figures. I have to del- get to him tomorrow, but uh, just doing that. And then next week I record the lockdown show, got confirmation for that next week. Shout out to the wrestling purists. They are covering WrestleMania 33, which is the WrestleMania I went to in Orlando. So that's a, be sure to check those guys out. Got a, a podcast coming up with Brandon for his, uh, you just got busted series from the, the, uh, Real Ghostbusters cartoon. I don't know when that's happening, but I know it's in the works. So, you know, fuck you, Brandon, but I will be there to save your show, just like I always do. Um, <laughs> but other than that, man, uh, not nothing, a whole lot going on. Got a vacation coming up in a couple weeks, so see how that goes. But I'll send it over to you for the uh, plugs. Oh, yeah, shout out to the guys over there bleeding John, man. He didn't bleed tonight, but they're getting so close, man. They almost stabbed him with a screwdriver tonight, so it's coming. We're going to get a gusher, and I just can't <laughs> wait. I just can't wait to favorite and witty tweet. Oh, shit. So, uh, yeah, guys, definitely check us out on all social media platforms, wrestling recommendations on Facebook and on TikTok. Definitely check us out on Twitter at Wrestling Recom, R-E-C-O-M-M. Uh, the show I'm involved with, NGW, we finally announced the date. We're doing uh, Project Violence 3, Ringless Aggression, uh, our No Ring, No Rules bar show. Uh, it's going to be taking place May 28th in Knoxville, Tennessee at the Brickyard Bar and Grill. So definitely check us out. But until next week, Travis, when we bring you Sting versus Vader from Starcade 92, I am Eddie along with Travis, and we will see you next week. <laughs>